0: This is ColoniaCast, episode 28. You can find us at theturtleroom.org slash ColoniaCast, where you can access the Student Research Fund, uh, where we're raising money to support different student-led research projects across the country, uh, learn more about the program there. Today we're joined by Dr. Luca Luizelli, uh, who is currently a professor of ecology at multiple different universities in West Africa. Uh, Dr. Luizelli's done a really incredible amount of things with turtle community ecology. Uh, he's also the chair of the IUCN specialist group of in West Africa. Um, we're really excited to talk to him today about some of his work. So thanks for coming. Thank you on. very much. Yeah. All right, Ken, you want to get us started? Yeah, all right. Yeah, so all this right. is the this question, question that we ask everybody. Um, so give us a little bit about your background and where you have worked. Uh, what got you interested into turtles and tortoises and how and where did your academic career begin?
1: Well, uh, my my background, in fact, is not uh, um, typical of the of my of my um, of my field, because uh, I I didn't think uh, to become a biologist in life, but uh, just by chance I was uh, I. I started uh, started studying biology and uh, in fact my thesis all my all my um, uh, degrees were on uh, more on mathematical stuff than than uh, on uh, biological stuff so I um, <clears throat> I I was a, a mathematical ecologist practically so imagine that my thesis was uh, was on uh, the application of uh, differential equations to demography i just used the uh, at the time i just used the vipers as a as a as an example of a demography pop- of the populations where to study demography applying mathematical criteria so since then i've been a statistician and the population biologist then with time uh, uh, I started working uh, on uh, snakes uh, about uh, 30 years ago, and then uh, on turtles and uh, with various uh, research projects, uh, student projects and so on. Uh, now I have uh, several fields of, uh, of interest. So from, I would say that turtle uh, ecology and conservation is why, it's just one of my applications of uh, uh, my methodological application, I'm more focused on methodological applications than on the life of the, the specific life of the animals.
0: Right. That's really interesting. It's cool to have a background in sort of statistics in its own right and, and mathematics, right? Cause you get a sort of broader understanding and, and probably a lot more ability to apply different methodologies to questions you're asking. Is that true? Uh,
1: yes, I, I think that um, the, that's true. But I think that the special advantage is that you are somehow um, external. So uh, when, I, when I speak, with uh, when I interact with my colleagues uh, in, uh, that work, for instance, for, for the conservation of turtles or for, or for the conservation of animals in general, Uh, I feel them um, somehow emotional more emotional than me in the approach Uh, my approach is more dry because I I, uh, because of of my of my approach of my cultural uh, background so for instance what is uh, uh, really interesting for me is trying to apply a unified uh, Standardized uh, method to assess all the species at the same in the same way, uh, without uh, giving uh, too much attention to a, to a given species because it's more charismatic than, than another one, or because uh, it has been reported as very rare in the past. Or uh, so I think that uh, the role of the science of the scientist is to, have to make a methodological replicable uh, uh, reasoning. Right,
0: right. A non-subjective, sort of objective, scientific approach. Exactly. Well, speaking of uh, species that were thought to be rare and extinct, one of the projects you've been working on recently is with the Nubian flap shells. Um, a lot of people I know are really kind of curious about that, especially after the sort of rediscovery of the species, even. Uh, maybe you could elaborate on, on what's been done with that and some, some of the findings.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. The, the problem of the of, uh, of the Nubian uh, flapshell, the scientific name is Ciclanorbis elegans. I know that uh, in uh, for Anglophone it's difficult, uh, but this is exactly the Latin pronunciation Ciclanorbis elegans, not Cyclanorbis or other things. I like it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, that species uh, is uh, is um, uh, is the largest. Uh, tartal species in Africa, freshwater tartal species in Africa. is one of the largest in the world. And uh, it, it, historically, it had a very wide uh, range through the Sahel region. Sahel is the dry savanna area, region that uh, uh, occurs south of the Sahara Desert, from uh, Ghana to, uh, to South Sudan. So historically, the species had a uh, wide distribution. What, how? How many kilometers is that? And... I don't know. Is considered is is the whole uh, white of, of Africa. Okay. So yeah, yeah. that one was the historical distribution. Okay. Then, uh, um, of course, uh, uh, during the last uh, years, uh, as chair of the of West Africa, I interacted with many people in the in the um, the group and uh, uh we uh, understood uh, especially thanks to another uh, of our friend uh who works on west african turtles with thomas Diagne uh, from senegal we understood that the number of uh, recent records of uh, uh this uh, turtle were were really very very few so uh, we approached the, the people that saw these turtles and uh, uh, I personally found that in uh, several cases they were not uh, *Chiclanorbis elegans, but the similar species Ciclanorbis senegalensis, which is uh, much smaller and uh, uh, much more widespread. Much
0: more common.
1: Not much more common. Here a person is a person that is uh, that is studying um, *Chiclanorbis senegalensis in uh, Senegal. So uh, maybe he can tell us something about that. But anyway, uh, so little by little, uh, we started to, to put out all the records that were not recent. And we found out that since the post-colonization uh, period, that is by the 60s, since the 60s, there were no more uh, records, Reliable records of elegance in the wild, with very few individuals that were in the, in, uh, in in one U.S. Uh, zoo, and those individuals uh, died in uh, 2012. So basically, in uh, when uh, uh, I organized the IUCN uh, Red List assessment for Africa in Lome in 2013, we didn't have any evidence that uh, that uh, elegance was still Uh, surviving in in the wild and uh, for years um, there was not any record available Uh, till uh, um, some interviews with uh, with, uh, fishermen in uh, South Sudan uh, suggested that that, uh, the species can be would have been present in South Sudan so uh, using phones from uh, various institutions, my institute and, and um, Mohammed bin Zayed Species Conservation Fund and uh, Quarters for, for Conservation, National Geographic and so on, uh, I developed a project uh, in South Sudan with the collaboration of the University of Juba. Juba is the capital city in South Sudan and with the ministries of the environment End of uh, tourism and wildlife of the Republic of South Sudan. Uh, you have to consider that South Sudan has been under civil war till uh, uh, n- till 2017. So practically, I started uh, working in South Sudan immediately at the end of the civil war. In fact, there was still uh, war in some places of the of the country, and. Uh, putting a team in the in the field we we used a, a multi-deplici- the multi the multi approach so we made the transect surveys uh, trapping uh, with nets uh, and we we made lots lots of face to face interviews with fishers we um, explored all the fisher camps through the white nile river and uh, we uh, inspected their, uh, their catches uh, almost day by day. and uh, after a few months uh, we really discovered the species. We rediscovered the species exactly in some places in which uh, it was uh, uh, reported historically. Uh, since then uh, we have uh, continued our research and we have discovered very interesting and, un- and unexpected pattern that contrary to the expectations, this species tended to be less rare, is rare, but anyway, it, it tended to be less rare in the southern portion of the country, which is uh, the wet, the wetter region of uh, South Sudan. So practically, the species was more found, more easily found in the, along the White Nile River, uh, where the banks are uh, heavily vegetated or with forest, with gallery forest, then uh, in the uh, more arid uh, areas that were supposed to be the, the best habitat for the species. So, uh, through the help of uh, turtle Survival Alliance, who provided a grant, a three year grant, uh, we started to uh, consider the possibility that uh, uh, elegance is found also in Uganda, where we are, it has never been uh, observed so far. Because Uganda is is uh, bordering South Sudan in the south, and is uh, is uh, much more vegetated. It has a uh, lot of gallery forest around the around the river. Uh, and uh, in fact, in August uh, uh, of last year, we discovered the presence of uh, of um, popul- of a population of elegance even inside South inside uh, Uganda. Is uh, a by the border with uh, with South Sudan, but is is in Uganda. So, so I think that uh, that uh, we find, we go we went ahead a lot compared to what we knew. We collected now data about the date, the diet of the species, about the microhabitat of the species, about the body size of the species. Uh, so now we we are quite a good knowledge of uh, the behavior. Uh, of the behavioral ecology, or one of the most uh, threatened turtle species in the world. I mean, it's incredible work. Pearson, did you want? To... Yeah, I was going to put a little
0: context on just the rarity. Um, like he was saying, super rare turtle, but the difference between some of the upstream, downstream habitats. If we're putting it in context, when we're saying less rare, we're talking about three to five animals found by fishermen in a year versus one every two years in the most rare areas for this species.
1: So either way it's a, yes it's, but not not by fishermen but by fishermen yeah, yeah, yeah. so in the, the in, in, in that the, in, in, in an area yes
0: yeah, exactly yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah and one of the interesting graphics from one of the papers that was published on it i remember is it shows that sort of trend as you get more sort of the, sort of those sued wetlands they kind of decline i i guess the mm-hmm. detection frequency but it so one thing that's really interesting about, it, I guess, West Africa in general is the amount of sort of sympatric or even syntopic species you have, and maybe those are too broad of a term. As sort of a community ecologist, but um, when it comes to the soft shells, mm-hmm. there's the you've got the Nile soft shells, Senegal soft shells, and Nubian flap shells, all in in sort of symmetry to some extent. Um, is there any sort of
1: competition going on there, or has well, that you know, okay? Well, uh, we have to to consider very, uh, very carefully what competition is using uh, the correct scientific uh, terms. Uh, because in, in conservation biology, very often people say, oh, this species in competition with this other one is declining because of, the other, of this other one and so on. For instance, in Europe, this is the, the case with scripta that uh, is everywhere mm-hmm. and, that it, and, the, and that many people uh, suggest uh, or even state that uh, they enter in competition with, the, with Emis orbicularis, which is the native species. And this is dangerous for the species. All this is just words, right, right. just beautiful words, but with no evidence, scientific evidence. Right. Competition is true when the population of a, a higher competitor uh, affects the survival and, and demographic characteristics of the uh, damaged species of of, of, of the le- of the lesser competitor. This uh, fact should be uh, evaluated statistically, not by words. The fact that uh, uh, one species coexists with another doesn't mean that there is competition. Competition can occur only in uh, some. Uh, uh, periods of the year because the resources available are reduced uh, or may not occur at all even if the species are found together even many species are found together because the, the resource is available okay so uh, i cannot i cannot tell that uh, nubian flap shells are affected in any way by the other uh, by the other species What I can what uh, I can tell you so far is that uh, in South Sudan the three species live practically sympatric, with uh, microhabitat differences because uh, um, uh, the Nubian flapshell is always linked to the big river, so uh, the White Nile and uh, um, and uh, its tributaries, but in the place in which there are the volume of the water is high, okay? especially when there is good vegetation on the banks and uh, uh, they like places in which the current of the water is uh, strong, relatively strong. Uh, on, on the other side, um, Senegalensis is much more abundant in the tributaries and in the um, ponds and marshes. So uh, they don't exhibit uh, the same habitat, uh, uh, microhabitat selection, because Senegalensis is often is often linked to places in which there is scarce uh, vegetation around and muddy, muddy substrate. Yes, substrate. Um, so their their they uh, um, they, they um, the eco- ecological distribution is somehow uh, different. Whilst uh, uh, trionics, uh, trionics triunguis, I repeat, trionics triunguis, not trionics triunguis, okay, Uh, the the Nile social is uh, found everywhere. It inhabits all habitat types, but the difference is linked to the age. The young uh, trionics tend to be be present more in the small ponds.
0: Yeah, marshes, wetlands. Marshes, yeah. They act like senegalensis, and then when they're adults, they act like
1: elegans. Exactly, exactly. So, is this a sign, a signal of competition? We don't know. We can tell that uh, certainly there are ecological differences in the microhabitat soil choice. If this is related to any kind of competition, because the resources are limited, we don't know. So at the moment, uh, I cannot tell that there is any competition between these species. I cannot tell that there is no competition between these species. But I uh, suggest you uh, to be always, always very uh, careful before telling that competition is shaping the structure of the communities uh, of Tartars worldwide. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, uh, I've... Uh... Having done work with looking at sliders and pond turtles, I mean, I, I haven't, again, like you said, quantified it in terms of like differential change in population size at a given point, but uh, you know, like application of differential, like the Lotka-Volterra competition models is something that I feel like it hasn't really been done with turtles, no. but it would be something maybe
1: useful. But no, it's, 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 it's true. true. Uh, Consider Lotka-Volterra. Lotka-Volterra. Okay, okay okay yeah <laughs> yeah no it's because uh, Volterra was Italian so I know very okay, well is yeah, yeah. uh, is a is a, um, is a system of differential equation that right. interests me so far because it was exactly the subject of the subject of my thesis the oh,
0: the, really? the differential okay, equation yeah.
1: of Lotka Volterra so yeah. I know very well how we can apply these models yeah right. and we see in Art, we simply don't have the data mm-hmm. yeah. you understand so yeah. Uh, I even published a review, say several years ago, on about uh, potential of interspecific competition in turtle and tortoise communities. Mm-hmm. So I I make a simulation analysis to uh, show the potential effect of competition, and I, I found that it's possible, it's likely that there is some competition in in uh, in turtles, especially in freshwater turtles. Yeah. In, uh, in terrestrial tortoises, less likely, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, Basically, the strength of these uh, of these uh, evidence is very low because we simply don't have the numbers to calculate, to to make good predictions based on Lotka-Volterra analysis. We need uh, probably uh, animals, the size of uh, microbes. So something that has a very, very quick generation time and many, many individuals. Uh, Chelonians in general are horrible in terms of this kind of uh, of uh, that, that is exactly. They are the worst <laughs> because they, they live so long, and they are so few. So is is most of our uh, of our research field will still remain uh, theoretical. Uh, we we suppose. So obviously, if we want to do conservation, we have to su- su- to suppose things correctly. So we have to, be, to make as much, as better as possible, our predictions to be statistically supported. Right. But uh, in this moment, for me, it's impossible to apply any Lotka-Volterra Volterra models to the to Chelonians. Right. It's just the data's
0: not there. And, try, and sort of trying to fit that with something that's just a different species you can't even assumptions but so you're talking about a, a paper that you did with looking at the, the potential for interspecific competition
1: was that with the palmedusa
0: and was uh no no i i,
1: I did a, a same review review um, a statistical review of all data available worldwide Oh, okay. So, oh, including okay. all species in the world—that's it.
0: So, there's very little sort of data that could be used for any of that. I guess that's. That, that's but,
1: but I found the data, but simply, simply, the conclusion cannot be cannot be strong enough to demonstrate competition because nobody has ever demonstrated a, an effect on, on another population mm-hmm. of that species. Right, right. Because the 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 environment was not controlled. I mean the the. the the experimental uh, environment. So just to to show you, to give you an example, okay? If uh, I have uh, species A and species B in a system, okay? I notice that species A increase and that species B decrease at the same time. This is a, a signal of competition, maybe, but we don't know because it's possible that there is another third factor That has produced the the growing of the population of a and the decreasing of the population of b okay this is because uh, two variables that are correlated are not necessarily uh, causally correlated Mm -hmm. to be correlated doesn't mean that there is an effect of one on the other okay for instance if uh, i uh, put the relation in the in in, uh, in relationship the number Of uh, uh, world uh, titles, world championship titles won by Italy in uh, (laughs) through the through the said last century, with the uh, price of the of of coke of a a bottle of coke through the century, you will see that the two the two are are correlated, because Italy has won five uh, world championships through the, the the century, but at the same time. Coke has grown more than five times through hundred years, but of course, the price of coke is completely independent from the from the num from from the right. ability of the Italian yeah. team. Okay, okay. so uh, this is an example of a fake correlation mm-hmm. that statistically is very strong, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. And, and so one more thing, too, and then
0: maybe we can talk a little about some of your adventures. But uh, oh, I'm getting called. Well. <laughs> disregarded, but um, the so you did a paper too on sort of uh, assembly rules in communities on the Pelameducids. Yes, um, maybe you could sort of elaborate some of the. I think that you used a bunch of different sort of methodologies analytically in there that are sort of interesting, mm. uh, like the Monte Carlo and that simulations. Yes, yes, that, that's sort of
1: interesting. Yes, uh, to understand the the, the basics, you have to go back to the uh, impossibility to use. Uh, robust models for uh, define for, for uh, determining competition mm-hmm. okay we cannot so we have to find a statistical um a statistical um surrogate of the application of the models to the real data okay so practically what what is the the uh, main problem of our studies on turtles for instance is that we lack replicates so for instance, if a uh, uh, person wants to study uh, the um, competition between uh, uh, the community structure, the competition between uh, among the various species of freshwater tartar in Senegal, he has to spend years to, col- to collect a good data set. But he collects a good data set or one site. By definition, one site means nothing. Yeah. So, but Pearson is very young. So maybe that he will spend other uh, 10 years going to burkina faso and studying again another community of turtles okay so in maybe 20 years he has collected uh, data on two communities two communities is nothing because by definition if you put two things in comparison one will be different from the other either higher or lower but this means nothing because time that you compare two things one will be higher and the other will be, will be lower okay so Pearson is not uh, is uh, very hardworking so he decide to go to Mali and he spend another 10 years in Mali then he has uh, three populations but three populations is the minimum uh, is the minimum number possible to be analyzed uh, statistically but is so minimum that he his chance to get a significant result are zero so it will still uh, i don't know if, I'm, if it's clear what i what i'm saying but it practically the probability to uh, reject the true hypothesis that the, communi- the communities are different is too low compared to the probability of, of accepting the, the untrue uh, hypothesis that the community, the, the various communities are similar. Mm-hmm. You understand? You're sort of incorporating kind of random variables into
0: that and, and,
1: and modeling that with respect to sort of. No, in this case, no, it's not yet that. It's that uh, is sample size. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you have three communities, the sample size is three. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean if you have captured millions of turtles in each site, the sample size remains three. Right. Okay. So you need to have uh, thousands of communities to make a study reliable. So what did the uh, science, the statisticians did? They uh, they simulated the communities. Mm -hmm. So practically, uh, using some different types of algorithm, uh, they uh, make a procedure. uh, out of which the three communities that we have studied are compared with 30,000, 40,000, 1 million uh, pseudo communities that are originated from the data that we collected in the field but that have been systematically uh, shifted. Okay? So practically Monte Carlo simulations are exactly this. Each community each that uh, the uh, with these algorithms uh, sh- uh shuffle mm-hmm. the um, the original data this is a monte carlo simulation and the monte carlo simulations are fully random but have the good the good aspect that you can introduce some constraints in the in, in the way in which you shuffle the data so that you can test uh, ad hoc hypotheses right that makes sense so
0: and and so you've used these and, and other methodologies just I, I mean, maybe no, yeah, no, no. maybe quickly um yeah, to, to what extent maybe palomeducids or Canixus or other species you've studied does sort of competition exist within the in, in in sort of overlap between species or how is it offset where
1: you've got because mm. that's something that's true okay yeah. uh well again if you want uh, to have uh, a precise answer, I'm not the right person. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm, uh, I, I tell you, I, I can tell you something only when I'm sure. Okay. Is uh, what I can tell you is that it is highly likely that uh, uh, there sh- there is uh, some kind of competition uh, regulating the communities of turtles. I can tell this because uh, you have, for instance, uh, only two. Kinixis species in the forest, and uh, when when in the at the border of the main forest, when one species, when a third species, which is in West Africa, Kinixis belliana or or as they like to call it today, uh, Kinixis way enters in the in the in the, at the border of the forest, it, this species is observed always with one of the other two Kinixis. So. Playing with numbers using Monte Carlo simulations, it seems that the uh, the productivity, the current capacity of uh, the rainforest habitat of, West, of the reinforced area uh, habitat in West Africa does not uh, uh, tolerate more than two sympathetic kinixes. OK, and uh, Erosa is much bigger than Omeana and the size, the difference in size may contribute to minimize the the strength of competition between the two species, okay? With Pelomedusa it's it's the same thing, because we have uh, Pelomedusa subrufa that now is, uh, according to some people, is split into, I don't know how many species, but in fact, there is only one that is is subrufa. Uh, Functional, there is only one. Uh, Subrufa lives uh, outside the, the rivers, only in the temporary ponds, that are small, are uh, ephemeral, and so they cannot support more than one species. Mm-hmm. So they live alone. Practically, uh, the system, uh, the ecological system of Pelomedusa needs only them as uh, species present. For Pelusius it's different, because Pelusius, Pelusius live in the main streams, in the rivers and so on, and so obviously their productivity is much higher. And obviously they can uh, um, live uh, in sympathetic conditions. So we have typically in a uh, in, uh, w- couple of, of uh, Pelusios at each site. Mm-hmm. So for instance we have Pelusios Niger which is very large in size with, Pelus- with Pelusios Castaneus which is smaller. In uh, Ivory Coast Pelusios Cupulata that is very large with Pelusios Castaneus that is smaller. In the north uh, we, ha- we have uh, Adansoni with uh, with uh, the that are more similar in size so what can we extrapolate from this that probably there is competition because the number of species is always the same in uh, all the areas is uh, in west africa there is always the same, the same amount of species that are functionally similar in the in, in sympathy uh, and that the competition is minimized by the difference in uh, in body size so, I can tell that it's likely that there is competition, but we cannot have a proof, an evidence, till a strong evidence, till we know the demographic effects of one species against the other species, okay? So, if, if uh, uh, we take biology as, a, a, as, a, as a, an hypothesis, uh, if, as a field, then we can say that competition is uh, is is uh, liking, but if we want to apply a st- really strong uh, criterion, like in physics or in chemi- or in chemistry, or even medicine, when for testing when they test uh, uh, drugs and so on, then we can say that we don't have the data. Right.
0: Well, that, that's interesting too, because it might be counterintuitive to think that difference in body size is reducing competitive interactions. Uh, a lot of people think sliders are, are bigger animals and they're going to push them out, but maybe that's actually good if there's sort of a difference there.
1: Absolutely, it is good. Right. If the very basics of the interspecific competition is that two species sharing the same niche cannot live together. So um, sides is one of the key elements that allow two species with similar uh, ecological traits to live together. Right. Well, that's interesting. I I know we
0: sort of want to, we're going to do a shorter one than normal today, just because we're all sort of at the, we're live from the Turtle Survival Alliance Symposium. So uh, kind of interesting, but maybe just a few more quick questions. Uh, We like to focus on sort of the human side of this sort of research and working in, As interesting a place as where you work, Uh, you've got to got you must have some really interesting stories. Uh, Maybe is there some field excursion you've been on that was more kind of that stood out more than the others, or kind of your favorite
1: sort of field work? Where was that? My favorite field work? Well, it depends very much on on other aspects. Okay. Because as I told you, uh, I'm quite uh, a very bad person. So quite I'm quite dry for in terms of. feeling for the animal for the not for the animals for the different systems i like uh, my pleasure is to understand how the thing works so i don't love specifically a study area because over the other because it it does not uh, interest me too much compared to to others what i can tell you is that uh, i prefer uh, uh, forest areas so I, I prefer studying uh, species inside tropical forests than inside dry uh, areas. So if I have to to I would prefer to work on tart- I prefer to work on turtles in the in the rivers and in the forests in southern Nigeria, or Ivory Coast, or southern Togo that are more wet than in uh, South Sudan that is uh, everything is dry. But uh, clearly, the the the, uh, the 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 system that I'm studying in South Sudan is super interesting because of the because of uh, of uh, elegance. So it's um, it's difficult for me to, to tell this approach. I live in, I live in Africa since 30 years practically. What I can tell you is that my favorite countries are Togo, Nigeria, and Ivory Coast. Okay. So, yeah. but this. <laughs> personal feeling not really related to science. Well, that's probably a good
0: thing. It keeps sort of, the emotion a- aspects of out of the science. It's good. I-, I have to ask this now too, this is sort of unrelated, but you brought up the forests and more of the kind of dry savanna habitats. Yes. Is there some kind of difference, I guess, in, in, I guess
1: maybe a theoretical like niche capacity for exactly. each species between those areas?
0: Exactly,
1: yeah. this, is a, this is because in the in the forest area, Uh, the ecological niche of the species are more fragmented. Uh, So uh, it is uh, uh, more likely to see a very strong niche specialization in uh, forest ecosystems than in dry ecosystems. In dry savannas, you have lesser species with a wider uh, uh, niche... um, with a wider niche... um, Possibility. Possibility, Possibility. yes, possibility. Uh, in the forest, you typically have uh, species that have a very short, very narrow niche and, therefore, neat, uh, narrow sp- spatial distribution. Spatial distribution, but with very peculiar characteristics. For instance, if we look at, at turtles in savannah we have uh, uh, Kinixis beliana that eats nearly everything. In uh, in uh, forest areas, we have Kinixis omeana. That it's practically only uh, mushrooms, uh, invertebrates, and uh, uh, and uh, carrions of vertebrates like fish and so on. Uh, you have on the other side uh, Rosa that is a little bit less, uh, uh, more vegetarian than uh, than uh, omiana So you see that in the, these two species that uh, live in the same uh, in the same microhabitats, uh, they differentiate themselves. Uh, in terms of the uh, um, species specific characteristic of the diet. So this is very interesting in this, in the Savannah, you'd never see this kind of thing. Hmm. It's sort of interesting how communities kind of organize, but how it's sort of an
0: interplay between environmental characteristics and maybe to a certain extent, right? You've got this uh, just kind of more sort of positions, animals can exist due to the environment. And so competition is sort of, interspecific interactions are kind of reduced by the environment, which is sort of interesting to think about that, that sort of, there's more of an interaction with organism environment than maybe mm. we consider generally. But, um, what well, I, I, so, um, yeah, that's really sort of an interesting thing to think about. And, and certainly in West Africa, you've got a great system to look at those sort of things. But uh, how does uh, environmental sort of entropy is that kind of, that encapsulates that idea of just having more
1: chaos in forests versus kind of you, you like, have you know have. It, yeah and i'm telling you uh, that uh, the concept of entropy is so important in the in the ecological uh, systems that it has never been taken into consideration in conservation biology and this is uh, something that for me is uh, absolutely unacceptable i even published last year a paper with another italian colleague um uh, that uh, uh, examines why the conservation uh, projects and expectations fail so frequently in the tropical areas this is a typical uh, um, uh, all uh, m- most of the conservation biologists always cry that in tropical areas the conservation actions fail okay uh, and they go calling uh, other many several reasons that of course are never never um, considering their own faults. So it is the the countries are corrupted, uh, the conditions are difficult, uh, the population is not ready to understand the the, the, uh, importance of conservation, all these kind of things that certainly contribute to the lack of success, but uh, they are not crucial. The the crucial error is that uh, since most of the conservation biologists worldwide are from uh, Europe, Russia, and USA, they apply criteria for conservation that are based on their own systems, which are species um, which, which typically have very few species that live over a very long, a very wide territory, okay? So you have brown bears from uh, usa to eastern russia everywhere not not they are common but the distribution is huge so they have uh, a very wide uh, niche tolerance and for instance uh, selecting a, a brown bear as an umbrella species this works because the the um, niche of the bear, of the bear is so wide that it covers practically <laughs> the, the full uh, ne- uh, network of the organism in the in the trophic chain, okay? But this is this model that is based on just few species with wide ecological tolerance, is exactly opposite of what is happening in the tropical regions, where we have plenty species with very near narrow niche and with a strongly seasonally variable uh, resource availability. So the entropy that is inside the tropical systems is so wide, so high that it is uh, substantially wrong to apply uh, criteria developed in the in the, the northern countries to to systems that are intrinsically uh, entropic. Right. Uh, that, that's interesting
0: to think about that and something that maybe isn't considered as much in, in terms of, uh, I mean, Africa biodiversity-wise is so important that it's really, I think, should sort of be, uh, that, that's something that needs to be considered when modeling interactions. Sure,
1: sure. So, it's, 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 again, is a statistical approach. If you, if you use an umbrella species, let's say the gray wolf, in, uh, in the uh, temperate climate, it works. If you use an equivalent, like, for instance, the leopard in Africa is not the same because the, the, yeah, the, right. the, the trophic chain yeah. that is affected by the leopard is just one, one subgroup of the of the community, right. of the overall community. And this is a statistical fact. So what is the problem? The, pro, the problem is that, in my opinion, my very personal opinion, conservation biology is uh, carried out is carried out essentially by uh, persons that are uh, excellent of course but they, they, they don't have a systematically statistical approach so this is my my personal opinion oh, that, that's uh, interesting and, and i think that
0: you're onto something in terms of being uh, sometimes very subjective or or just uh like uh, the, the implications of things are applied in far too broad a sense. Yes, they, they, they just apply matrix modeling and, and population uh, steady states, I guess, uh, using like painted turtle survival rates for South American keelids. That's sort exactly of exactly, thing. Yeah, exactly. Just, that doesn't work. But uh, okay, so we we're we're getting up on time here. But I've, so I've got one kind of two one. Okay. Um, in terms of for someone looking to get sort of turtles. Or or reptiles as part of a career. If you've got one piece of advice, Uh, and then maybe just after that, maybe a just brief summary of what the state of sort of African turtles is, and what the major, uh, maybe for West Africa, what the major sort of environmental issues are. And and, uh, just that—that's a loaded question, but maybe just kind of a basic overview there. That's not
1: well. That's very very uh, uneasy topic to answer because is uh, uh, I think that everybody of us has a, a different uh, mentality and a different uh, perspective of life. What I think is that if you are uh, a person from Europe or from North America, uh, you have to uh, study, of course, uh, uh, the, uh, at the university, of course, but then you have to uh, reset everything. Because uh, uh, working in Africa or in uh, other tropical uh, areas is challenging and you will immediately understand that most of the things that you have uh, learned does not apply, do not apply or do not apply completely to the new uh, ground that you have, that you will find. What is absolutely necessary for me is that you forget uh, to think as a westerner person so you have to, if you want to understand uh, the Afri, for instance the african uh, ecosystems you have to understand that the um uh human that the interactions between humans and environment is far different from that uh, that we observe in europe and that also the the um, uh, capacity of the environment to survive to the environmental changes is different from the one that you that you have in europe so you need absolutely to do experience so what i suggest is that if you are rich enough you invest money and you spend time associated with the research group working in africa if you don't have sufficient money you should not give up you just uh, try to apply to uh, to to, uh, organizations that make uh, uh, that uh, support volunteers you get in touch with an organization that uh, is uh, carrying out uh, a long-term project ecological project project in in africa you uh, after getting in touch you contact or you 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 apply it depends on depending on the on the organization to an organization supplying volunteers and you go for a couple of years to do volunteering work in uh, in in Africa then that experience will show you how is completely different the um, approach the situation the everything from what you are what you have learned and for Asia is the same I worked also in in Asia also although also although much less than in Africa and uh, you cannot compare asia with uh, with uh, with the western world you cannot compare asia with africa so uh, we need absolutely uh, to get ex- uh, to be experienced in the system that we are working so my, my suggestion is that anything happens you have to try to do experience in the in the region then little by little things happen so you can start collaborating with the local institutions or we can get in touch with the uh, community conservation organizations or with uh, uh, multinational agencies and so on, but you have to be there. That's a great take on it. I, I haven't heard
0: anyone give sort of that perspective and it's, uh, it's really interesting to hear that. I guess maybe just to wrap up, we normally do the trivia, but I think we'll just push that. To, we're going to try to get Pearson and T- Tomas on here as well at some point. So we can push that there, but uh, just lastly, maybe a short, just uh, kind of the state of West Africa's turtles and what maybe the, the one, if it's even possible to narrow it down, the one major sort of environmental
1: issue is for them or, if there is uh Difficult to say, because it uh, changes so much from place to place. Uh, In southern Nigeria, which is the most uh, developed areas in Africa, I would say that uh, the oil industry is the main problem. In uh, Ivory Coast, I would say that the cacao uh, industry is the main problem. In the most uh, uh, remote areas, I would say that uh, hunting for subsistence and so the bushmeat trade is the main problem right. so it's you cannot give uh, one answer uh, any any area has uh, their own specific things that should be studied and uh, contracted It's is system specific yes yeah, that, that makes
0: sense yes right. okay well uh i think that this are, this is a good place to stop but uh Thanks again for coming on, uh, Dr. it It's been Thank a pleasure. You. And, Thank uh, you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, and Pearson as well. Absolutely. <laughs> fun. Yeah, we'll try to get Pearson and Tomas on for, for another uh, episode. But uh, for now, uh, we're concluding this, and we're about to go catch talks. But see everyone later.